Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. I uh, have been doing, well, I always do a lot of praying, but especially in the last while, I keep getting the same thing over and over again. And the Holy Spirit is telling me, not like it's ever been before, but with more intensity. The Lord is preparing to come real soon. I believe that with every fiber of my being, not because that somebody else is saying, though all the prophets are saying it, but as I was, as I've been reading through in my personal Bible studies, I'm in the book of Ezra right now, and Ezra was contemporaries with Zechariah, Jeremiah, and several other the prophets, Ezekiel, and in their day, they were all speaking the same thing. What they were prophesying was that God was getting ready to judge Israel, which he did. He take the, took the nation of Judah, was taken into captivity in Babylon. And then after that, they, they were brought back out of Babylon. But before they went in, there were prophets that were prophesying of their demise and what was going to happen to the nation of Judah. But nobody listened. As a matter of fact, the prophets were disdained and they were spurned and, 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 and some of them lost their lives. Some of them were in prison just for speaking out, just for saying what God was saying. Because the message wasn't a very popular message. It was a message of judgment, that the judgment of God was getting ready to come. Nobody wants to hear a message of judgment. Amen? I mean, you can go and, 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 and get your ears tickled if you want. I mean, there are plenty of places that would love to do that for you, make you feel real good, preach you a real good message. And then when you walk out, you know, you're feeling real good about things and no conviction of sin or anything else. You know, I'm accepted. I'm loved by God and all of this kind of thing. And everything's hunky-dory and my life has fallen apart, but God still loves me. And God does love you. I want you to understand that. Nothing changes there. His love for you is constant. It's always constant. Do you realize there's a verse of scripture that we quote all the time? Most of us know it by heart. And it's Jeremiah 29, 11. What does it say? For I know the plans that I have for you. The plans not to harm you, but to prosper you and give to you a hope and a future. When was that spoken? It was spoken before Judah was taken captive by Babylon. He was saying to them, the judgment is coming. I'm going to take you into captivity. You will be there for 70 years. But I have plans for you. I have a hope and I have a future for you. You're coming out. And I will prosper you. But not before you go through some things. There's some things you're getting ready to go through. And I want you to understand something. We are in the last days. Everybody say the last days. I want you to get a hold of that. Paul wrote to Timothy twice. Two letters. 
Timothy was his young son in the Lord. The Apostle Paul had taken him under his wing. He had trained him and taught him and had, had sent him to, to set up churches and helped him to establish churches and put him in authority over the churches and told him to raise up leaders, elders and deacons in the churches. But he also told him what was going to take place. And he said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and, and I've, I've shared this with you last week, probably the week before, but you know, sometimes when we have something going on inside of us, we need a shot and then we need a booster shot. Consider this your booster. But Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to read verses 10 through 14 and elaborate on them just a little bit. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Would you say that with me? In the last days there will be very difficult times. Now why will there be very difficult times? For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. Does this sound anything like the generation we're living in right now? They will consider nothing sacred. Does that sound familiar? They will be unloving and unforgiving and will slander others and have no self-control. Are we getting warmer? They will be cruel and hate what is good. You checking these off? They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. But you, Timothy... You, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and in Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. In verse 12, is kind of our key verse this morning. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. What is deception? What is the root of deception? The root of deception is not an outright lie. It's enough of the truth to get you to believe a lie. Did you hear me? It's not an outright lie, but it is enough of the truth to get you to believe a lie. Because if I come right up and tell you an outright lie, you're going to know that I'm an imposter. You're going to reject what I'm saying, but if I can tell you enough truth, such as, Do you know God loves you, that he accepts you however you are, and there's no need for you to change? 
There's no need for you to change. You can be just what you are, and God loves you just that way. There's no power for you to change, no need for the power, because you're okay right where you are. Does God's word say that? Jesus' first words out of his mouth when he stood up to preach, when he, when he was, was, was verified by God and he began his ministry, what were the first words out of his mouth? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, turn away from your falsehoods. Turn away from your idols. Turn away from your sin and turn toward God, toward the God who loves you and wants to help you, change you, change your life. It shouldn't surprise any of us of what's happening in our world if you're paying attention. The scriptures give us clear warnings. As a matter of fact, Paul tells Timothy in the same chapter, verses 16 through 17, he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. How much scripture is inspired? All scripture is inspired. All of it. Everybody say all. I love that little Greek word, all. It's the Greek word pas, P-A-S. You know what it means? All. It means everything. Everything. All. Complete. Everything. All scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful It helps us to realize what's wrong with our lives. The law of God is good. Everybody say the law law of God is good. Paul realized that he could not keep the whole law of God. Why? Because the law was bad? No. Because he was bad. Because of his fleshly desires. Because of what was inside of him. He found it impossible to keep the law of God. The law of God is good. But what the law teaches us is that we need the grace of God. Because we're bad. Now, I want to get to one word that I want to focus in on this morning. And this is the word godliness. They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. What does that word godly mean? We know as a kid growing up, you know, we'd go to church and stuff, and I'd always figure that the ladies that had the longest hair and the longest dresses and, you know, were the most pious and this kind of thing were the most godly people. But that's not what makes you godly. That's not what makes you godly. I want to help you with this just a little bit and help you understand what godliness is. It's not just being good. It's not being a religious person. It's being a person who is in pursuit of God, who desires him above everything else. It describes one who's passionate about a relationship with God, one who desires his presence, and more than anything is devoted to God. Devotion. Now, we have our devotions, you know, we, uh, most of us do, some of us do. 
We have those, that quiet time with God. We have our devotion. We'll take a devotional. We'll take our Bible. We'll study it. And we'll, we'll put something in our heart in our think tank for the day. But that's not devotion to God. Devotion to God is where you love him so much that you want nothing short of pleasing him. Everything else falls by the wayside. Your main focus, your main goal is to please God. You have a pursuit of him. You go after the presence of God. There's one guy that I love in the Old Testament. I mean, the people of Israel found him when they were transporting the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines. And when they had, 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 when the Ark, when the Ark of the Covenant was on, when they had it on the cart, and they were transporting it. Remember, and, 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 the, and, and the oxen stumbled, and one of the priests reached out, and he went to, to, to steady the ark. And when he did, he was killed. The Lord struck him dead. God was angry at them. Why? Because they were not doing things the way that he prescribed them to do it. How was the ark of the covenant supposed to be, be handled? It had some rings in the corners of it. And there were two very long poles that were supposed to be put through those things. You weren't even supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. But these poles were inserted through those rings. And then there were six priests that were to pick this thing up on their shoulders, three on each side, and to carry it. That was how the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be transported. But they didn't know. So they had put it on an ark, or they didn't even take time to figure out how God wanted it done. They wanted to do it their way. So they're transporting it. And, and so the oxen stumble and, and, and this thing about slid off the cart. So Uzziah reaches out and he starts to, and when he does, he's gone. Uzzah, one of the priests. David got upset about it. So they took the ark and they put it in the house of a guy by the name of Obed-Edom who happened to be in the lineage of Levi. And they put it in his house for three months. And you know what happened to Obed-Edom? Because the Ark of the Covenant was stored in his house for three months, his household was blessed. I mean, all of a sudden, Obed just started getting blessed all over the place, man. It's like when he walked in the house, it's like, whoo, glory to God, I feel the presence of God in this place. You know, and everything good is happening to Obed-Edom. So, so David, you know, wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. So he sends some priests and they, they take the Ark of the Covenant and they do it the way that it was prescribed to bring it back to, to Jerusalem. And Obed-Edom, because he had experienced the presence of God, all of a sudden he wants to be everywhere the Ark of the Covenant is. He wants to be in the presence of God. So he becomes a volunteer. He volunteers to be a gatekeeper, security guard. He volunteers to be on the praise and worship team. He was an instrumentalist. He volunteers to be a singer when they had too many instruments. He volunteered to help in the service of the temple. Every, I mean, he just did everything he could to be close to the Ark of the Covenant. He wanted to be around the presence of God because he had experienced the blessing of God. That's what I call being in hot pursuit of the presence of God. But he was blessed. Everywhere you turn, Obed-Edom was blessed. And you read about it in the book of Chronicles, in First and Second Chronicles. It's like everywhere you look, boom, 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 there's Obed-Edom. He just wants to be in the presence of God. And he was blessed because of it. Well, see, when we go hard after God, that's what happens in our life. We get blessed. 
We get blessed. Oh, does that mean trouble won't come? No, we will suffer persecution. It will happen. People don't like you getting blessed. People get jealous when you get blessed. You ever notice that? Wow. He must be rooking people. I bet he's fishing out of the offering trays. I don't understand why things bad don't happen to Pastor Don like they do to me. Well, bad things do happen. But I got a good God who delivers me out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord hath delivered us out of them all. It will happen. It's going to happen to you. Bad things are going to happen to good people. I don't care how good you are. They're going to happen. But the Lord will deliver us out of those bad things. When we are devoted to God. Oh, there's a song came out several years ago called Hopelessly Devoted to You. You know? Devoted. I'm, I'm devoted to my wife. I love my wife. I love my wife. I won't cheat on her because I love my wife. I won't pay attention to other girls because she's the one for me. I love her. She's the mother of my children. She's my wife. She's my partner. She's my best friend. I love her. I'm devoted to her. But there's one who I'm devoted to even more than my wife, and it's okay with her because she's devoted to that same person, and that's God himself. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. We're devoted to him. That is godliness. The word in the Greek is the word eusebia. Everybody say eusebia. It means devotion or piety toward God. It springs from the first commandment found in Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3, where he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And he follows it up in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, when, when, when Moses is, is reiterating the commandments. And the first commandment, he says, is to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's godliness. That's godliness. When you have a passion and a love to honor God, you have no other gods before him. You don't question him. You you just love him. You honor him. Your hope is in him. Godliness is a discipline. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, in the New Living Translation, it says this. Now the Holy Spirit clearly tells us. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit clearly tells us that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that will come from demons. Wow. Do y'all know demons go to church? They have leadership roles. They teach doctrines of demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciousness are dead. Consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married to eat and wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with, with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it but receive it with thanks. For we know it's made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. But if you explain these things... To a brother and sister, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not waste time over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, 
Train yourself to be godly. Everybody say, train yourself to be godly. Who are you training to be godly? Yourself. Train yourself to be a pursuer of God. It's a discipline. That's why Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? Methetes. It is a learner, one who is disposed to learn, one who has a, has a, has a, an attention span toward God. You're intently listening to him. You want to learn from him. A disciple. Discipline yourself. Learn to be godly. They will say it's wrong to be, okay. Since everything is created, we have everything to get down where I'm supposed to be. For you, if you explain these things, brothers and sisters, uh, Timothy will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not waste time in arguing over godless ideas and old wise tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. In other words, dis- discipline yourself to be godly. Physical training is good. Everybody say it's good. It's good to work out. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. My responsibility as your pastor teacher is to pump you up. I'm here to pump you up in the faith, to build you up in the Word of God. That's my responsibility is to teach you, to train you in righteousness. I'm not here to tell you feel-good stories. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to cause you some pain. Because when there's no pain, there's no gain. There's some things in our life we've got to cut out. There's some things that we've got to discipline ourselves to do. You know, if, if we're battling the bulge, there are two ways that you have battled the bulge. One is what? Diet. And the other is exercise. Diet and exercise. My wife used to say about chocolate, once on the lips, forever on the hips. And it's true. It's easy to sit down and go through a box of chocolates in a hurry. My wife and I can knock one out in no time. I love that stuff. But it's not good for you. And there are things that we put into our mind and in our spirit that are not good for us. If we have a steady diet of MTV or, or some other stuff that comes on television, my wife and I, you know, we, we'll sit down sometimes, we'll want to watch television, we're like this. You know, 600 channels and nothing worth watching. What's up with that? End up watching Shark Week. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing that feeds your mind. I mean, you, 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 you're so disappointed sometimes. You go to Redbox, you get a movie, you take it home, and the first three words out of it are blankety-blankety-blank, and you're like, I can't watch that. I'm like, so you just wasted two bucks. But if we're going to train ourselves in righteousness, we've got to watch our diet. We've got to put good stuff on the inside. 
That's why it's better a lot of times to turn the TV off. Just get into the Word of God or, or, or if you are going to watch TV, watch, some, watch Perry Stone or somebody that's telling the truth. Get fed on the Word of God. My wife and I have been watching a lot of, of that, or she has more than me, but it's very interesting to see where we are in these last days, to hear what the prophets are saying, to hear what God is saying through those who have studied the Word and made this their life ministry, to see where we are and where we're going, what the next step is. And it's so very interesting to see where we've come from, where we are now, and where we're going. If we listen to the prophetic word and what God has said through his word, we don't have to wonder. It's right there in front of us. God is very explicit about what would happen in the last days and where we are right now. So nothing should take us by surprise. That's why the Bible tells us to be sober, to be vigilant, you know, to know exactly what's going on so that, so that the coming of the Lord won't catch us unaware. We know it's coming, you know. We know it's coming. We don't know the day nor the hour but we know it's very soon. We know it's very soon. Because God has given us clear instructions. He's given us a clear word. He's given us a prophetic word to tell us and prepare us for the coming of the Lord. So we know it's coming very soon. So here we are. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in your life and in the life to come. The Greek word for train here in the In the King James Version, it says, exercise yourself in righteousness. Is that what it says? Exercise. So it's the word gymnazo. Gymnazo. Which is a Greek word that was used for the training of the Olympians. The ancient Olympians. They were physically trained and get ready to compete in the marathons and all the other thons that they had. And just to get a crown of olive leaves, which is crazy. But we're going after a crown that is much greater than that. We're going after a crown of life, a crown of righteousness. We're going after a crown that will endure. So we need to train. We need to train like an Olympian. We need to train our minds and our bodies to line up what we know in our hearts that the Spirit is saying to us. We have a God conscience inside of our hearts, and we should know, because the Creator has put it there, what He is saying to us. It tells us what is right and what's morally right and what's morally wrong, but our fleshly sin nature desires to do what's contrary to our spirit man and what the spirit man is telling us. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 3, verse 6. Now, have you ever noticed the difference between a born-again person and a person who is not born again is this? They don't have a spirit conscience. They do what their flesh desires. Because Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 6, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And God tells us in 1 Corinthians That nobody knows what's on the mind of someone unless that person is inside of them. Now, we have the Spirit of God where? Inside of us. So the Holy Spirit is telling us what is right and what's wrong. 
We don't really even have to know what is written because the Holy Spirit is already telling us on the inside of us. We have a God consciousness, a spirit consciousness inside of us. And that's why the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. But if we walk in the flesh, what are we going to get? Destruction. I talked about that last week. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Be not deceived. There's that word again. For God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows unto the flesh, he shall reap destruction. But if he sows unto the Spirit, he shall of the Spirit reap unto what? Life eternal. So the choice is yours. What do you want? Destruction or life? I think I'll just go out here and get run over. I think I'll just go try to eat a bus head on. That's what it's like when we sow into the flesh. We know it's coming. We just don't know when. So foolishness. It's foolishness for us to live according to the dictates and the desires of our flesh. What is flesh? what this body wants. Genazzo says we have to reject it if we're going to be strong in the spirit, if we're going to be a godly person. There are things that our body and our flesh desires that is contrary to what God desires for us. But if we feed that, we know what the end result is. But if we feed what God has for us, then we know what the end result of that is too. Life. It's not just bios. It's not just living here. It is Zoe. Everybody say Zoe. You know what Zoe is? It's the God kind of life. The kind of life that God intended for you to have from the very beginning when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the paradise of God. It's, It's living under the realm, under the authority of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Paul says, I wouldn't have it any other way. Even though all these things that I'm going through right now, he says, I know they're only momentary. And he said, these momentary sufferings and things that I'm going through right now are nothing to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. Amen. It's worth it all. It's worth it. You know, I I go to the gym, and I know why it's called working out. Because that's exactly what you have to do. You have to work out if you're going to get any benefit from it. Now, you can go in there and stand around and talk all day. It's not going to help you any. You can go stand and watch other people work out. That looks interesting. You know, how about doing something for me while you're at it? I see Dana in there sometimes. I'll say, Dana, how about putting in an hour for me? Dana's like, I can't. You got to do it yourself. So it does me no good to watch other people. It does you no good to watch other people. You have to focus in on yourself. That's why the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 for you to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. You got to do it yourself. You have to train yourself in godliness. You have to train yourself in righteousness. It doesn't come natural. You know, if working out was fun, they would call it, let's go have some fun. It's not fun. It's a discipline. 
You have to make yourself do it. The end result's fun. There's no fun while you're going through it. Man, I go to the gym. I hate to sweat, so I just perspire (laughs) heavily. But you got to do it. (laughs) As long as we're not born again, we do what the flesh desires with no desire to change or control it. But when we are truly born again, the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts when we're acting contrary to the will of God according to his word. That's why we must exercise godliness and self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Self-control. Everybody say self-control. You know what that means, don't you? It means you can't control anybody else. You can only control yourself. You know, if you don't get to heaven, it's not going to be somebody else's fault. You know? (laughs) I saw that, Gary. No, it's not going to be Bill's fault, Gary. (laughs) It's going to be your own. It'll be your own. So we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Titus tells us this in Titus 2, verses 11 through 13. He said, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Everybody say all. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. All right, let's get our first workout exercise here. Can I help you with this? All right, we're going to do five of them. Okay, here we go. Take your lips like this and go, no. All right, ready? No, 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 no. That's what you got to learn to say. When temptation comes your way, no. You have to be more emphatic. Say, no. Like my little grandson, Abraham. He's got that one down perfectly. You look at him, he'll look at his big brown eyes and go, no. Like, where did that come from? So you just hang with that one, son. You're going to need it later. It teaches us to say no to what? ungodliness. Now let's, let's stop right there for just a second. Let's, let's, let's just compare godliness with ungodliness. Okay. Now we know that godliness is a sabia or eusabia. Ungodliness is a sabia. In the Greek, the word or the letter a is what? Help me out here. What is it? Without. We see agnostic. What is that? A, without God. Without knowledge. Gnostic, without knowledge. Atheist is without God. So we see those words. We know what they are. So this is a sabia. It's without God. It's irreverent, disrespectful, impiety, irreverence, lack of respect or fear of God, anything which does not comport with an attitude of reverence for God is a sabia. It is the neglect or violation of religious and secular duties due to the disregard for God. In other words, it is the seed of rebellion. I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way, not God's way. 
irreverent, disrespectful, no fear of God. What is wrong with our society today, folks, and I firmly believe this, is no fear of God. We don't fear him, we don't respect him, therefore we don't love him. We don't have any devotion for him. And he says, reject these things. Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly, devoted lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from what? All wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. What are you eager for? What really trips your trigger? <laughs> do you love to do good? Or do you have this thing inside of you just, just has this kind of thing like, hmm, I know God's his, but I can't help myself. When one has a deep devotion to God, they seek to do what is pleasing to him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep some of my commandments. Is that what he says? He says, if you love me, you'll go to church. If you love me, you'll know what my word says. Did it say that? No. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, Jesus didn't give us a lot of commandments. He fulfilled the Ten Commandments. But he gave us one commandment which trumps them all. And Paul said in Romans chapter 13 that this one commandment is the fulfillment of them all. And that is what? To love one another. If you have a love for your brother, you will keep the other Ten Commandments in relationship with that brother or sister. You will not steal from them. You will not kill them, surely. You won't covet what they got. You won't want their wife. You won't commit adultery against them. You won't lie against them. You won't commit a, a, a falsity against them. You won't be a false witness against them in court. <laughs> because why? Because you love them. And love is the fulfillment of the law. So Jesus said, if you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself, you pretty well got it covered. That takes care of it, right? If we've got a genuine, unfeigned love for one another, a non-hypocritical kind of love for one another, then it covers all the bases. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's pretty easy. Jerry Bridges wrote a book. You can get it through Nav Press, and it's called The Practice of Godliness. And he says, devotion is not an activity. It is an attitude toward God. So when you have your devotion in the morning, it's just a tune-up for your attitude. It should point you toward a relationship with God that would cause you to want to love him and be in his presence all the day long. And as long as you love him or in his presence all the day long, you're not going to violate what he wants for you. That makes sense. Billy Graham says it like this. He says, you know, the way that, that I have been able to, to maintain my integrity is to practice the presence of God. Wow, practice the presence of God like Obed-Edom. 
knowing that he's with you all the time. You just want to be close to him. You just want to snuggle up to daddy. You want to be in his presence all the time. And he said this attitude is composed of three essential ingredients. I want you to think of a triangle this morning, okay? Here's a triangle. It has three points, top, bottom. And on one side of the bottom part of the triangle, I want you to think about the fear of God. And on the other side of the triangle, I want you to think about the love of God. And this will translate into a pursuit of God, which encapsulate devotion to God. Now, the fear of God in the Hebrew is the word yare. Y-A-R-E. Everybody say yare. What it means is the highest reverence or respect. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 19 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he has called, who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers in reverent fear. Revelation 15, 4 says, you who will not fear, who will not fear you, O Lord, and give and bring glory to your name for you, you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Who will not fear you, O Lord? Now, this is written in the 15th chapter of Revelation, and this is getting way, 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 way into the last part of the game. This is way into crunch time. I believe this is after the church has already been raptured, and this is probably a period uh, close to the end of the tribulation period. By that time, I guarantee you everybody on the earth will fear God because they will be crying for the rocks to fall upon them. They'll be crying out for death to overtake them, but it will flee from them. That's a horrible thing to think about. But the wrath of God and the judgment of God is coming. We're living in the age of grace when God's grace is upon us and God's love is still upon us. But the wrath of God is soon to be revealed against all ungodliness, all those who pervert the truth, all of those who reject God. It's coming. Just wait for it. It's coming. Read about it in Romans chapters 1 and 2 if you want to go there. But the wrath of God that was to come upon us has already been taken by Jesus himself. So you and I don't have to worry about the wrath of God. We're living in the grace of God. So, then we have the love of God. God's love is demonstrated to us through his infinite mercy and his wonderful grace. Romans 5, 8 says that God has shown his love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 4 and 8 says, God is love. He's love. And 1 John 3 and 1 says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and this is what we are. I'm a child of God. 
because I've been born of his spirit. That's what makes me a child of God. Outside of that, I'm still a child of the enemy. I'm still a child of the world. I'm still a child of Satan. But when I'm born again by the spirit of God, I become his child. I'm born again. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And what that gives me, that fear and that love for God, gives me a desire for God. I desire him. I want him because I love him. I respect him. I honor him. He's holy. He's my God. He's my father. That gives me a desire, a love and respect, created desire for God. When we fear or we have a deep respect or pursuit of God, we have a reverence for God coupled with a deep love for him. This translates into desire for him. And this is what we call devotion. This is what we call godliness. And when we're devoted to God, we want to please him. We want to trust him. We desire his presence. And the writer of the 73rd Psalm says in verses 25 and 26, whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's high above the heavens. There is no other God but him. The apostle Paul did second, said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 through 10, we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from this body and home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And if we live godly in Christ Jesus, then we are devoted to him. We don't fear God. We look forward to That's what Paul says. We walk by faith. We live by faith. Therefore, it doesn't matter whether I'm in this body or out of it. I'm still in his care. So I make it my goal, my ultimate aim, to please him. Now, I love you, folks. I want you to understand that. I love you, Brian, but I'm not out to please you. I love you, sweetheart. And most of the time, Because I am devoted to you, I want to make you happy. But when it comes to God, I choose rather to please him than anything else. I love you folks, but I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please him. I'm here to please him. And I pray that that's what your desire is, is to please God. That's your goal in life is to please him. Because if you make that your goal in life to please God, walk in such a way that is devoted to him. Walk in godliness. Walk in true humility before him. When you stand before God, you're going to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You fought a good fight. You kept the faith. You finished the course. Look what I've got for you. I've got a crown of righteousness, an eternal crown. And you know what we'll do with those crowns? We'll take them off and we'll lay them at his feet. Lord, it's by your grace, it's by your mercy. It's all because of what you've done. How can we not want to please him 
after all he's done for us. How can we not love him for the way that he has loved us? How could we ever reject him when he never rejected us but has always reached out to us desiring to hold us, to love us, to care for us? Devotion. That's what godliness is. And I want to tell you something. They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Folks are not going to like it if you're totally devoted to God. They'll say you're a fool if you're totally devoted to God. That you're brainwashed. That's okay because I am. Well, the washing of the water of the word. I want to be brainwashed. I want my heart to be cleansed. I want my thinking to be straight toward God because I'm totally devoted to him. I want to think the way he thinks. I want to act the way he wants me to act. I want to be holy like he is. Because he is. And holiness is simply this. Knowing who you are. Knowing who you are. Integrity. Knowing who you are. I'm a child of God. That's what I am. You don't have to like it. That's what I am. But I like it. I love it. Because I know what awaits me. Folks, we are in. We're in the beginning. You know what the big inning is, don't you? That's the last inning. Final pitch. Bottom of the ninth. Bases are loaded. We're at bat. What are you going to do? Are you going to wait for the pitch, the right one? Are you going to fall and strike out? When the final two minutes of the game, time's running out. The clock's ticking. We've already gotten the two-minute warning. What's the score going to be for you? How's it going to be for you? You see, in this game, there's only you and God. There's nobody else. Of course, we are a body of believers. We're fitly joined together. But... In life, there's only you and there's only God and there's your decision. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to handle it? Are you going to be suckered in by the deception and the things of this world? Are you going to be mocked? Allow yourself to mock God and say that I can do my own thing, that it doesn't matter when it truly does matter. Every moment that you live is a moment either spent in devotion to God or in rebellion against Him. What's it going to be? When the final, final phase of the game here, and it's not a game, this is real. Oh, that it were a game. We know what the final score is. Jesus always wins. But what about us? 
Are we going to be a winner? Are we going to stand in the winner's circle? Are we going to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Are we going to hear him say, sorry, I never knew you. You did what? You taught Sunday school. But I never knew you. I don't see your name here in the Lamb's Book of Life. You did what? You sang in the choir. I don't see that that's a prerequisite for entry here. What did you do with my son? What did you do with the grace that I gave you? What did you do with what I offered you? Did you spurn it? Did you make a mockery of it? Or did you receive it? That's the questions. Pretty soon, the horn's going to sound. Game over. Game over. Where are you going to be? How's it going to be for you? You see, there will be no do-overs. There's no getting back in the game once the game's over. You can't run out on the field and say, here I am, put me in. It's over. It's over. So what's it going to be? Are we going to live godly in Christ Jesus? Are we going to make our lives count for him? This is where we are. What's your life doing? What are you doing with your life? Are you devoted to him? Are you devoted to yourself? See, God says you'll have no other gods before me. That's including you. Just a reality check for you. There is a God, and you're not him. So who are we going to serve? Well, you've got to make up your mind. Are you going to discipline yourself in godliness? Are you going to train yourself in godliness? It takes effort. It's not about works. It's about working out your fear, your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not about works for salvation because that's already been accomplished through Jesus. It's about building yourself into a godly person. You see, when I was born, I had nothing to do with that. My mom and daddy did that along with God. It was his desire and his plan, but mom and dad had to put things in motion. First, I was a twinkle in his eye. I won't go into the rest of that. But I ended up here. It was God's plan. God called me. God kept speaking to me, and he kept calling till I answered. Thank God I answered. But since then, there are things in my life that I've had to do that have had to be disciplines in my life. And if I'm going to go higher, if I'm going to do more, there has to be more discipline. We all can accomplish what God wants us to do if we discipline ourselves and we train ourselves in godliness and righteousness and devotion to him. It's not just a quick devotional in the morning. You know, when I first gave my life to Christ, 
I thought my devotional could be done in the bathroom at work. A chick track here and there was enough. But that wasn't enough. It took more than that. It takes determination. It takes desire, devotion for God. But it begins with these two things, fear and love, which translates into a desire for God. If you don't have those, then you won't do the other. How much do you love him? How much do you fear him? Those are the questions. Well, Father, help us to be what you called us to be, God. We know, Lord, that you called us to be disciples, not converts. You didn't tell anybody to go into the world and make converts of all nations. You said make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded. And lo, I am with you. Thank God you're with us. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us a task that we couldn't accomplish. But you gave us the Holy Spirit to help us. To come alongside, to be the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to help us. To guide us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to counsel us in all righteousness, to open up the Word of God to us. You put your Spirit inside of us, Lord, to show us right from wrong, to discern. And Lord, we thank you for that. And I pray for your people today, Lord, as we we get ready to leave this place today. I pray this message, God, would just strike a chord in our hearts, God, that would drive us to that place of desire for you. And we would love you enough that we would fear you enough that it would cause us to be totally devoted to you. I just want to pray for you today. We just stand. I know this is a this is a hard message. It's 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 one that's meat. This is not for you know those who are desiring the milk. This is for you to take you to a deeper place in God. This is a challenge for you. I can't do it for you. It won't happen with just a prayer here today. It will only happen when you determine in your heart that I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to be more passionate about the things of God. I'm going to be more committed toward Him because I love Him, because I'm devoted to Him. I will have no other gods before me. He is my God. He's on the throne of my life today. That's where it has to be. Or else don't waste your breath. Don't even waste your time making a half-hearted commitment to God. Unless you want to be godly. But I want you to understand something. They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's coming. It will come. But Jesus said, rejoice when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's going to happen. 
if you live godly in Christ Jesus. Because you're in this world, but you're not of it. But I want you to understand also that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You don't have to worry about it. Just be devoted to God. Be devoted to him. Now, I want to tell you something. We're in the last days. This is serious. I'm here to tell you the truth. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm not here to bring judgment upon you. That's coming for all of those who reject Christ. That's coming for all those who spurn his word. And, and, and for those who are the unregenerate, that's coming. But for you right now, you're here today because God brought you here. And this message is for you to stir you up on the inside. To spur you on toward good works. That's why you're here today. When I read the Gospels and I read the Epistles, I don't see anywhere in there where Peter or Paul or Jude or any of the disciples spent any time giving flowery speeches. They just said it like it is. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Turn away from wickedness and turn toward God. Turn away from the things of the world and turn toward Him. Let the Holy Spirit touch your heart this morning. I don't know where you are. I'm not even going to open my eyes. I'm not even going to look there because God wants to deal with you individually, each one of us. Wherever you are today, you know nobody else has to tell you. But wherever you are, I'm just going to ask you this one question. Do you love God? Do you fear Him? You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.